Hope y'all are doing well. We are in a three-week sermon series on the mission. You can see it behind me, Community Mission and Care. Uh, The first week, I did community. Last week, Jack preached on care, and this week, I'm doing mission. And so after this, we will be starting the book of Acts. So um, starting next week, we will be in Acts chapter 1, and we will be uh, going through the entire book of Acts. Um, I've been looking <clears throat> at commentaries and things like that. It's going to be in the, in the neighborhood of 50 sermons or so. Uh, we'll take little breaks throughout. throughout. Hey, it's better than Matthew. Matthew is 88. Come on. Um, but uh, it was, it's going to be in the neighborhood of 50, looking at the narrative. <clears throat> we'll take breaks and do little things here and there. Uh, so, of course, it'll be longer in the year. But we'll have, you know, little commercials of other, of other uh, kind of uh, sermon series that we're going to be doing. So... Um, but today we're looking at uh, uh, community mission and care, to particularly mission. Now, uh, the reason why we're doing Acts after that is is because of the the mission statement. So, as we're focusing in on community mission and care, these three things are making up our church um, and what we're going to focus like a laser and wanting to accomplish as a church. Making sure that these three particular things are happening. We're going to the Book of Acts to help us all see continued examples of how the early church, the first Christians are trying to figure out how to do community mission and care together. So um, anyway, today we're going to be uh, looking at joining Jesus on mission. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to Matthew 28. Um, When I say this, I really mean it. The sermon will not be too long today. Um, I I don't have a particularly long message plan, uh, which, you know, I know some of you are heartbroken uh, but but we won't be uh, in, in the text too long. We, we'll spend some time in worship <coughs> afterwards. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. There shouldn't be anything uh, brand new to you. Um, maybe a couple of things that, from an angle you haven't thought of before. Uh, but at the very end, um, so we're, we're, we're going in the same kind of format that we're going to do. What does this text say? Let's look at the text and exegete the text. What does this mean for remedy? Uh, But to close, I'm going to close with uh, the gospel. And hopefully as we turn the diamond and look at the gospel, uh, it'll be a fresh perspective for us all, for those that are believers and unbelievers. Um, I I really, really love this gospel uh, text that we're going to be looking at. So I love the gospel, of course, but the gospel text we're going to be looking at is just so beautiful. It's one of it's one of the most beautiful invitations into the gospel. And we'll be looking at, at that for all of us as a refreshment for our soul before we go out on mission this week. So let me pray, and we will be jumping into Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy that you've shown us. We, uh, we pray now for the Spirit to come. And for those that are believers in Christ perhaps very familiar with the gospel message, very familiar with our need to go live on mission, that you would come now and in these moments cause this familiarity, which is inevitable if you've been a Christian for a long time, to still be amazing. This truth that you have saved us, that you have given your very life for us, and that you've called us to to go on mission. God, that these things would just be enthralling. That these things would be amazing. And even though we're, as believers, maybe been believers for a long time, very familiar with this, that you would cause our hearts to be deeply infatuated with Jesus for what he's done. And for those that are new Christians, or perhaps not Christians, that... uh, you would draw them into the beauty of the gospel. Draw them into the, the, the amazing uh, tasks that we get to be a part of telling people about Jesus. And for them, God, that this would be something that they are uh, realizing that they're sent and called to do and that they would take up the task. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to cough some. I apologize beforehand. I feel one coming now. <coughs> The uh, the spring allergies I think has been the absolute worst in my life and I 
I'm going to eventually stop coughing and having this rattle in my throat, but I'm not sure when it's going to happen. It's been here for a couple months, it feels like. So um, before we get in, I want to talk about the title, Joining Jesus on Mission, and just just um, familiarize with what we're, uh, us all with what I'm trying to point us to when we say joining Jesus on mission, and this particular part of the mission, that we are joining Jesus on mission. Each one of those little words I want to unpack for a second, uh, just to help us realize a few things. First, joining. Um, whenever uh, church plants start in cities, and I probably did this seven years ago when we started, sometimes we'll say so, some silly things like, hey, Rock Hill, get ready. We're coming, and we're going to make some awesome things happen in, in, in uh, Rock Hill. And, you know, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, there's like 75,000 other churches here. Uh, but now that we're here, Jesus can do some stuff. Uh, and that's, that's a little bit silly. Uh, it's not the truth that I... Praise the Lord, new church plants are happening, and we need a whole lot more. But the truth is, whether a church plant has started or whether you are going to finally join Jesus on mission um, and say, okay, God, I'm ready to take this city by storm. God's already been in the city doing stuff, moving. There's already Christians there, and things are already happening. So being on mission isn't like, okay, I'm here, God. Now things can start happening. It's God's already doing stuff in the hearts and lives of people. There's already been people on the front lines in the trenches doing his work. And what we're doing is joining Jesus on mission. So God is calling you to a great thing that he's already at work doing. You're not having to start something brand new. God's been at work in Rock Hill for for years, for years. And he's calling us now to come and work with him. He's already at work. This is a, uh, a Henry Blackaby encountering God, I think it was called, had that idea where God's already at work. And what we're called to do, it's not like mission can finally happen because I'm, I'm here. Erase that mentality. Instead, think of it this way. Jesus is already at work and has been working for a long time before I got here. What I want to do is get into the, the trenches with the other people and start looking around and saying, where's Jesus at work? Where is he at work already in this city? And I want to join that right now. So that's our calling. First is that we're joining Jesus on mission. The second is that we're joining Jesus on mission. So let's not forget a couple things when we're talking about joining Jesus on mission. First, joining Jesus means this. Any and all mission work we do is not for our glory. Any and all mission work we, that we're doing is for his glory. So while you're doing it, remember the ultimate call of your life is to give glory to Jesus. And so this calling and this joining Jesus on mission is, I think, the thing that will continually drive us, continually push us, continually, even in the tough times, whenever it seems to be the, the most hardest ground and not fertile ground, is that we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing it for Christ's glory. And the second part I want to po- point out about Jesus is, this is Jesus is for his glory. The second thing is, this is Jesus and he's God. And so he's in control and there is a huge, huge place of rest in that. So while we are maybe working tough ground, while we are uh, trying to share the gospel with our neighbor that doesn't seem to ever have any interest in Jesus at all, this is Jesus. I mean, he's God and we can rest in that and we can believe in his sovereignty and trust in his sovereignty and know that since he's God and he can do all things, if he can create something out of nothing, if he can bring back the dead uh, to life, then he can also cause those that we're telling the gospel to come to spiritual life. So joining Jesus and the last one is on mission. What is the mission? Well, it's the last thing he tells us before he goes into, into heaven. So This is after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection. He called his disciples out to the mountain. Literally the last thing he tells them is this. So joining Jesus on mission. What is the mission? Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. It says this. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's all encompassing. He's trying to say if they knew that there was galaxies and, 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 and galaxies upon galaxies, he would have said galaxies upon galaxies, but he knew they had a limited understanding. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you 
always or literally all the days to the end of the age. There's four alls just in this great commission. All authority, all nations, all that I have commanded, all the days. This is a huge, all-encompassing mission that he's given us. I want you to notice that this mission he's given is because it's before we get to Acts, this is to his disciples. So every person has this mission. He's not given this mission to churches, although it will result in the, the forming of churches, no doubt. And churches are to be on mission. But this is a mission given to disciples. So every single disciple has to obey this. It's not like the churches have to obey it. And if part of our church is doing it, then I can kind of, you know, do something else because our, our church is doing it. And so those people are good at it. So they do the mission part where they make disciples and I do something else. Mm-mm. This is to disciples. Therefore, every person that's a believer in Jesus has to obey the Great Commission. The going forth and making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Very last thing he tells us. So we know that this is, this is very important. I mean, he saves the great commandment to, to the very end. And so there's, there's really three things that I want you to see here. They won't be on the screen. You can pick them out. They're very easy. Three things I want you to see about joining Jesus on mission. The first one is that, that first word in 19, go. Now, a lot, of, a lot of things kind of made out of this word go. And when we hear the word go, we think, then I got to go. I'm not allowed to stay where I am. It, it literally translates as you are going, as you are going. So it just means as you're going through life everywhere, as you're going to class, as you're going to work, as you're going to be a husband, as you're going to be a wife, as you're going to be engaged, as you're going to be even a child uh, in school, just as you're going, as you're going to do anything, while you're doing everything you're doing, make disciples. So this, this mentality of I need to go in order to finally obey so I can start making disciples, you can erase that. Mission, I think, is much more accomplishable if we think it's go as, as I'm going. As I'm going to class, I'm supposed to make disciples. As I'm at work, I'm supposed to make disciples. As I'm at home. So the going is in everyday life already. So you don't need to think, I need to make these special trips uh, so that I can finally make disciples. What he's calling you to do is, as you're living everyday life, all throughout your day, all throughout your week, I'm just living it with gospel intentionality. So whoever I encounter, I want to take these opportunities to be able to present and share the gospel of Jesus with them, which we will get to. But the first thing I want you to see in joining Jesus on mission is, go, go. Now, uh, I know it's translated as you're going, but let, let, me, let me stop and ask a question for you. Do you consider yourself a going person? Do you consider yourself one that is going, as in going and making disciples? I'll ask it differently. Do you consider yourself someone who's already been sent? John 20, 21 tells us, as the Father sent me, so I send you. So, as a believer in Jesus, don't consider yourself still kind of sitting in the airport waiting to board the plane. And one day I'm going to finally go and sent and be, be able to do stuff. The moment you become a Christian, you're on the airplane and you're sent. You're already there. You're not, you're not sitting in the airport anymore. There is no airport. It's dead on the plane. Thank goodness there's no like waiting in the, in the thing. I'm getting, I'm getting delayed. I'm getting delayed. Maybe I'm finally going to get to go. And that's none of that. It's I'm dead in my sins. I'm on the plate and I'm sent. So every person, every person here in regard to joining Jesus on mission, realize this. The go, um, you can't like not obey that. You're already sent. You're already doing everyday life. You're already going to class, going to work, doing all this stuff. So the mentality then is in the going is since I don't have to obey that because I already am, what am I doing as I'm doing that? Am I making disciples or am I not? So change your mentality that says I'm not really a sent person yet because that's not the truth. You're already a sent person. Every believer in Christ is already a quote unquote going person. So that's the first one. Joining Jesus on mission means go and here's the good news. You've got green lights. You, you're, you're, you're going no matter what. The second one is this. This digs in a little bit more. Go therefore and make disciples. 
make disciples. So the second thing I want you to see in regarding joining Jesus on mission is making disciples. Now, there's only three verbs in this. There's only three verbs in the Great Commission, and it's not go. It's make disciples, it's baptizing, and it's teaching. Those are the three verbs. Uh, the baptizing and the teaching, I think, fall under make disciples. The way we make disciples is by baptizing and teaching. But the go is already implied. But the second thing I want you to see in regard to joining Jesus on mission is make disciples. And you can see here, make disciples of all nations. That's all ethne. That's all the ethnic groups. So it's not all the countries. It's not all 175 countries in the world. It's all the ethnic groups inside of all the countries. Thousands upon thousands of ethnic groups. We're to go make disciples. We're going to get to that in a second. But let's talk about what it means to make disciples. Um, our primary job on earth as a believer in Christ is to make disciples. This is the last thing he tells us. Make disciples. So, question. Um, how many disciples have you made thus far? Consider yourself, you know, five years a Christian, 10 years a Christian, 15 years a Christian. Since you're already a sent person, how many disciples have you made? I know that's a pretty pointed question. It makes us all feel uncomfortable. I'll, I'll change it a little bit. How many disciples are you making or planning to make? That makes it maybe like, okay, I haven't done it yet, but fun. I plan on it. Like Jesus wants me to, then don't back me in the corner. I get it. I get it. I understand that we like that idea a little bit better. Um, but the reason why I kind of ask it so pointedly in the beginning is because uh, sometimes we can just get so comfortable, so comfortable that we're not taking up the one task that he told us. The last thing he told us. The last thing he told us is to make disciples. So joining Jesus on mission means that we're going, but it also means that we're making disciples, making disciples. And it says by making disciples, we're supposed to do a couple things, baptizing and teaching. Now, I want to point out just a couple things about that really fast. The baptizing, I believe, uh, and this isn't going to be a shock since we are a Baptist church, is that the baptizing uh, comes after initial faith. So once someone's baptized, they're to be immersed. Uh, that's not really the controversial thing, I don't think. The second thing, though, teaching. Um, sometimes when we hear that in teaching, we think the teaching means uh, that they need to study systematic. Like, okay, finally that you're a believer, it's time for us to sit down. We're going to walk through Wayne Grudem's systematic theology. It's only like 1,400 pages. It'll take about seven years, but you know, we'll eventually get through it. The, the, the teaching here is not theology. If you notice, it says teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So the teaching is not so much doctrinal as much as at uh, teaching them to be obedient to commands. So what we want them to do is to pattern their life after holiness in Christ, not pattern their life into being able to spout out tons of theology. Now, certainly you're going to teach theology, but the teaching is pointed towards them to be holy, not just have a big brain about theology. So the making of disciples for us then is to present the gospel to them in such a way that they see and understand Christ. We're going to get to that in just a second, I promise. The message, we'll, we'll talk about the message. But after they're in Christ, we want to see them get baptized and we want to see them grow in their sanctification. And for Christ, sanctification is about coming more holy, more Christ-like. Not necessarily just being a theologian in that they're growing in their, in their understanding of theology. So the second thing is make disciples make disciples how many disciples then are we making are we being the kind of believer that's making disciples or or are we being lazy and not doing it let me read calvin on this um and calvin has a way to uh just get right at the heart of the matter when it comes to being uh, disciple makers. And it might sting, but this is Calvin telling us, you need to take up this task. And if you don't, this is what he says. Let us learn from this passage that being a Christ follower is not just an empty title. Meaning, I'm a Jesus follower, I don't have to do anything else. It's not just an empty title, but instead a laborious office, meaning an office or a title that means there's a lot of work to be done now. We have to be workers now. 
And that consequently then, nothing is more absurd or intolerable than this honor should be claimed by hypocrites. That means if you take this title as Christ follower and don't do any work, then you're just being a hypocrite. He says this, who live like kings at their ease and disdainfully throw away themselves from teaching and preaching the gospel. So if we as believers don't take up the laborious work of making disciples, but instead just take the title, then Calvin, not me, and I think he's right, is telling us we're just being lazy hypocrites. David Platt, even commenting on the Great Commission, says, this is not a comfortable call for most Christians to come to and be baptized and then sit in one location. This is a costly command for every Christian to now go and baptize and make disciples of all nations. So the call to being a Christian is not just a call to being forgiven of sin. It's also together. Whenever you're called to be a Christian forgiven of sin, you're also called to be on mission. There isn't like, I'll call to be, I'll be forgiven, but not on mission. It's a call to both. And you can't have it both ways. Otherwise, we're misunderstanding the title then of being bestowed to us as a Christ follower. So Christ follower, yes, means forgiveness of sin and praise God. But it also means now, without question, disciple maker. You have to be a disciple. This is a call to, as he says, a laborious office. And for those that don't want to labor, they're misunderstanding the calling to be a believer. So joining Jesus on mission means we're already sent. It also means that we're already now called to the task of disciple making. It isn't just for those that are good at it. It isn't just for those that have been Christians for a long time. It isn't just for those that are pastors or working at churches. It's for every single person. Every single person is now a disciple maker. So joining Jesus on mission means going. Joining Jesus on mission means making disciples. That was number two. The last one is this. All the ethne. All the nations. He wants you to make all the nations get saved as they say in these days. I'm learning. This is our prime objective then. Let, let me brag on you just a second. Just, just last week, um, I, I was doing the announcements and we have someone <clears throat> that's going to India for the summer to be a missionary for, for the summer. And I said, you know, uh, she's, she's doing a, uh, a spirit night. That's a, not, not in like a correlation to the Holy Spirit at all. Groucho's calls it spirit night. I don't know why. Uh, where you can go and you can buy a sandwich for seven bucks and she gets 20% of that for a buck 40. And I was like, but you know what? You could just give her seven bucks and fast or, you know, just give her some money. Get, go eat and give her some money, whatever. She needs like $1,600. Um, by Tuesday, she had collected all $1,600. Remedy stepped up. I don't know how it happened. I, I don't even know the details. I just know that on Tuesday, I had heard from Sunday making just this off the cuff kind of, you know, hey, you could just, not eat at Groucho's and give her the money. Announcement to Tuesday, $1,600 had been given. And now she's, she had so much money left over, she's going to give it to other people. That's remedy stepping up. And, and listen, the, the aggressiveness that you have at stepping up and things like that is beautiful. I love that. So someone will take the gospel to the ethne in India because you stepped up. And let me just, let me just take us one, one step higher in our challenge. The aggressiveness that we step up, and I think those are simple things, okay? Um, being able to give money because we're wealthy, and you think you're not, but you are, because you're still in the top 1% of the world of wealth, is, is relatively easy in, in regard to mission. Oh, they need some, some, some money to go do mission. Boom, here you go. So what I want to do is this. While I don't want to discount that, I think that's amazing. Someone raised $1,600 for missions in two days. I don't know how it happened. I just think it's beautiful. And predominantly, Remedy did it. And so you're awesome for that. But let's do this. The aggressiveness that we were able to do in two days to meet someone else's mission, let's aggressively step up our own and be just as aggressive with our own mission and not just say, I'll give money so someone else can do it. But I am going to join Jesus on mission to take the gospel to all the ethne. I want to be a part of it too. Not just give the money so someone else can do it, but I'm going to join Jesus right now in my city and to the ends of the earth. That's the, I think the, the challenge for us all 
Now, <clears throat> interestingly enough, uh, when we studied through Matthew, we know that the book of Matthew is written to people who are Jewish. And he's telling people who are Jewish that are very pridefully, you know, we're Jews and this, you're Jewish, Jesus, and we, we want everybody to be true Jews and understand this gospel. And he tells them, those who are Jewish, he says, I want you to take this gospel to all the, doesn't say rest of the Jews. He says to all the ethne. I mean, just, just striking at the core of, to these people who are Jewish and saying, all the Gentiles need to get on this too. So let's, let's feel the weight of that in the first century when he's Jewish man looking at Jewish people who's predominantly done most of his ministry to Jewish people and he's the Jewish Messiah saying, hey, all of you who are Jewish, this gospel is not just gonna be for all who have in the Old Testament just been the quote unquote people of God, but now we're gonna let all the people get on this, the Gentiles too. And he's pushing these people who are mostly around people just like them and, and saying, now what I want you to do is I want you to take this gospel to other people. I want you to get around people that you're uncomfortable with. I want you to get around people that you might not, quote unquote, feel called to hang around with. I want you to get around people that don't look like you, that don't think like you, that don't have similar interests as you and let them know who I am and come to Christ. So this go make disciples of all the, all the ethne for you because I don't think all of you are going to go to India this summer and probably not going to move to the 1040 window ever. So, but you still can do this. You can look at that and apply this text by saying, Jesus is calling me to take this gospel, not just to the same people that look like me, think like me, act like me and have similar interests of me. I mean, that's a very narrow, narrow, narrow amount of people that you're gonna share the gospel with if you only share the gospel with them. But instead, just like he's challenging them, he's challenging all of us to expand who we share the gospel with to not just people that are your age, your ethnicity, and your interests, but to all people. In Rock Hill, they're here because we're a global society. I had a conversation with... uh, a member a few weeks back who's sharing the gospel with her neighbor and her neighbor is nothing like her. Not the same ethnicity, not near the same age, not close to any, but she's, she's determined to be obedient to this call and is sharing the gospel. And I mean, they, they have amazingly interesting conversations because they're so, di- they're so different. And you'll find that you'll have, um, you'll find you'll have really good conversations with people that aren't like you. And so, what I want you to see here is this all the ethne is not necessarily a call for you to, to go to the remote uh, places in Africa. It might be, but it does mean think about people around you in your neighborhood and your circles of influence and in your circles of life that don't just look like you, uh, but also are different. And how can you tell them? Evangelism might look like it did for the disciples where uh, Jesus is calling you to all peoples, not just those that look like you. Now, the last thing that he tells us, which is awesome, is I'm with you always. I'm with you all the days. So not only are we joining Jesus on mission where he's already at work and he's doing something, but he's even saying more awesome. He says, we're joining Jesus, but I'm also with you as you're doing mission. So as you're doing it, he has this amazing promise where you're not out there like a lone ranger trying to figure it all out. And I just, I'm not very smart. I can't figure all this stuff out. He's telling you, after he tells all these disciples, go make disciples of all the nations. As you're out there doing it all, you need to know this. I'm with you. Jesus, God himself, is with you as you're doing it. He's with you. That is amazingly encouraging. As Matthew ends, D.A. Carson comments on the the ending of the book of Matthew and this great commission. And he says, Matthew's gospel ends with this, an expectation, parentheses, of all the disciples of Jesus, an expectation of continuing the mission. There's an expectation that we will continue the mission, not get comfortable and do what we want. So what are we going to do with this mission then? What are we going to do? 
So this is what it means then for now at Remedy. This is what it means for, for the leadership and this is what it means for you at Remedy when we are joining Jesus on mission. And again, if you've been here over the last two months, all the things I'm gonna say to you are just gonna be by way, by way of reminder because we've talked about these things. Um, for elders, it means that we're going to, and hopefully we do this, um, Jack and I grew up both in Southern Baptist churches our entire life. We've never not done anything Baptist. And so we've got so much Baptist in us that evangelism is just like been pushed at us that we, we're gonna constantly, constantly push evangelism. It's just, we, we naturally bend back over to that Baptist evangelistic thing. So what we're going to do then is constantly remind you every week of the mission, you need to be on mission. Evangelist just means euangelion. It just means the gospel. So we're, we're gospelers. And so we're, we're just gonna continually remind you to be doing evangelism. That's what it means for us as elders. We're gonna remind you constantly that you're supposed to be on mission. Community group leaders are gonna do the same thing. Remind you constantly that you're supposed to be on mission and inside those, group lead, inside those groups, they can, they can ask you, how's it going? I mean, I can say, how's it going? And everybody starts talking and then all of a sudden we're not preaching anymore. So it's easier for you to do that in community groups. I still wanna to talk to you between services. Come talk to me. I wanna talk about how mission's going. But in community groups, whenever the community group leader's constantly saying, hey, you need to be on mission, you need to be on mission. They can actually ask you, even individually, how's it going for you? What's tough? Tell me what's tough. Because if this is what's tough, let me give you an idea on maybe how to improve at that. The, the community group leaders are not master evangelists. They're just like you trying to figure it out. But if all of you get together and talk through what's working, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna get ideas on how to do it better. The next thing is this. What, is gonna, what does that mean at Remedy? I want you to think of evangelism um, in, in kind of concentric circles out. So at your house, for your own, you have, you have your own personal evangelism. This is you individually sharing the gospel. We've already talked about this with one person a week, one unbeliever a week. You have seven days to tell one unbeliever the gospel. That's not too hard. And then the next week you can keep telling them, but then a new one. We want you to, as much as you can tell an unbeliever the gospel. Now that's, that's you, but think of it in this way. I'm doing mission as an individual. I'm doing mission as with my family, that could be you and your wife. That could be you and your wife and your kids. That could be, however, what, 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 <coughs> excuse me, what pattern of life are we setting ourselves up so that we're actually around unbelievers? And then after that, community group. We also have church-wide, but it's, just think of it in circles out. So individually, individually, what that means for you is this. It means that you need to be, with all that you can, sharing the gospel once per week with an unbeliever. We're, we're gonna not stop talking about this, but that's what it means at Remedy. Joining Jesus on mission means that you think about sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, whoever it is. There's a bunch of them in Rock Hill. <laughs> You're not taking somebody else's up with, with them once, once per week. Family, it gets a little bit different. So this is what I want you to think about when it comes to family. Think about your calendar. Think about your schedule. Think about what you're doing and where are you during the week? And what I want you to think about, and in some, some places it's just called, kind of called the third place. So you've got, you've got church and you've got community group. For unbelievers, they likely aren't there. So where's a, a third place that's a little bit more neutral ground, if you will, that's where they are. And how can you get you and your family to those third places? For example, and I've said this many times, is a long time ago, I went to my kids and I was like, hey kids, you're gonna play soccer. And they're like, yeah, what soccer? And I mean, they don't know. They didn't know what soccer was. And I said, soccer's a game and I'm gonna be your coach, okay? And they didn't, I mean, they'd never even seen a soccer ball. We get out there, they're still, you know, not the best players on the team. But, um, but one of them just scored a goal the other day. One of them just scored the goal the other day. It was pretty awesome. Actually, it was, it was one of my daughters. She, was, she scored a goal and like ran from, <laughs> it was hilarious. I, this has nothing to do with the sermon. So she scored the goal and then turned around. You know, it, it's not a whole lot of people there. She turned around and from the goal, I was on the sideline, ran to me all the way and said, dad, 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 like, the whole time to me, and as soon as she got to me, jumped in the air, and then literally, like, four limb hugged me, and just, we're just standing there, and everybody on the sidelines just like, <laughs> I was like, first goal, first goal, it's her first goal, and I'm like, 
peeling her off. Her All right, go back out there. So anyway, my whole point is this. I coach the games. I coach the games, okay? The reason why I coach the games is because that for me, as a pastor, as a pastor, you're, you're, you're generally around unbelievers. You who don't have jobs in ministry get to be around unbelievers far more than me. But my job mostly is around unbelievers. In the office, hopefully I've got believers with me, right? So, um, Jordan. So anyway, uh, my, my third place then is I think about my family and I say, where are my kids in their stage of life? Where's our family in our season of life? And how can we strategically put ourselves around unbelievers? And what I do is I pick the city soccer league. We, we don't do the Christian leagues. Not, not that there's anything bad with doing Christian leagues. But for me, I'm not around unbelievers. For those of you that works, work jobs where you, you, know, you have secular jobs, it's easy. Secular means not in ministry. You, you, maybe the Christian league is the best thing for you. But me, I, I'm not ever around them. So I pick the the, the the soccer league, the city soccer league, and I'm always the coach. I'm, I always want to be the coach because as the coach, I have to, I don't have a choice. I have to be in contact with the 14 different parents of all these little kids. And as I'm doing that via email, etc., I use my church email address on purpose and I'm, I'm, I'm sending, and they, they know that I'm a pastor and I'll have an opportunity every, every time I'll have an opportunity with at least one dad, sometimes two, to be able to have a lunch with them, take them out and talk about Jesus. So I, I, I leverage, I don't want to say use, but I leverage my children to be able to have a third place to be around unbelievers. So you have, you have personal goal. What does this mean at Remedy? That we're going to share the gospel once uh, every week. But then also, as my family, what am I doing with my third place as my family? Leveraging our season of life, leveraging where we are to get around unbelievers and, and know them. The third way I want you to think about it is community groups. So you've got personal evangelism, you've kind of got your family evangelism, and then you've got your community group evangelism. And that one's pretty much done for you. You can go to a community group right now, and they're already on mission. Every community group here picks a, a group that they reach out to on the Winthrop campus, from students to a faculty to all kinds of things, and they just continually are doing events. I'm always seeing and hearing about events they're doing where they're, they're reaching out and doing. Re so, I mean, that's, that's already there for you. It's baked in the cake. All you got to do is, if, if, if all this sounds incredibly difficult for you, get into a community group. And they're already doing outreaches where they're serving people. And you can just be a part of that and go with them. And then as you're doing it, you're going to meet other people. And you're going to be able to tell them about Jesus. So that's what it means that we're going to continually do that one in the community group. And. They're doing great. I mean, they are really, really doing well. <clears throat> and then lastly, for us to be obedient to all the ethne, it means that we're gonna continually, as the Lord leads, as patient as we can, pray for the Atani, that the Lord's gonna give us opportunities one day to go evangelize the Atani. So that's what it means for us at Remedy. Again, I don't think any of those things are brand new information, but that's what it means for Remedy to join Jesus on mission. So we've talked about community. We've talked about care. And the third thing is mission. And we believe at, as, at Remedy, as we are being obedient to those three things, that we are being obedient to being, um, obeying God of what it means to be a, a, a church, that we are fulfilling the correct purposes of the church. So if anybody ever comes up to you and says, oh, you go to Remedy, what's that all about? If you don't say the words community, mission, and care, I'm going to find you and strangle you. I'm just kidding. But you should know. Like, I'm not, that's, that's too violent. I, I, I'm, but like, seriously, um, anytime anybody ever says anything to you about remedy, what's, what are you about? The words, the three words, community, mission, and care should come up to you. And over the next 50 sermons through Acts, I'm going to shove those three concepts down your throat over and over and over. The, the way they tell you if people understand the mission is once you're really, 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 really tired of saying it, they likely have just gotten it. So um, I, I think that's true. I think that's true now being in ministry seven years. Um, so what are you gonna do then with the mission? What are you gonna do with this great gospel message we've been given? What I wanna do is this. Um, I wanna conclude with the mission. I want to conclude with the great gospel message that we are going to tell people. We've all been called to make disciples, but we have a message that we have to share with them. Now, if you've been at Remedy for a while, you've heard me say that the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, this message is um, a message for unbelievers and for believers. And so we, we look at it and for believers 
and unbelievers, we all need it. Just as much as an unbeliever needs it to get saved, a believer needs to constantly hear, hear it in order to persevere. And I, I, I constantly compare it to a, to a diamond. And so you're looking at the beauty of a diamond and you've become so familiar with that angle of the, of the gospel message that it becomes familiar and you're just kind of ho-hum. And what we need to do, because familiarity with the gospel is inevitable, but all of the familiarity can change. And so what we want to do is turn the diamond to see another beautiful angle of the gospel that perhaps we haven't thought of so that even though it's familiar, we, we find ourselves in awe again. And so I'm going to today try to turn it again, and we're going to look at this beautiful message. And again, if you're a believer in Christ, you need to hear this just as much as an, an unbeliever needs to hear it. I mean, they're going to hell, and they need to be transferred into the kingdom of the Son. But you who are in Christ need to hear it just as bad in order to continue to persevere. So Isaiah, this is, I think, the most beautifully written invitation ever. It is a, an amazing, if you, if you think about the words that are being said, this invitation to those who are destitute, to those who are hopeless, to those who are starving, this invitation into Christ is so beautiful. I think it's one of the most beautiful invitations ever written. This is written in the Old Testament. And so because of that, Jesus had not been born. And so they're inviting them into the Savior. But let's, let's hear it. Isaiah 55 verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come. So there's something that has to be happening. You have to be thirsty. If you're thirsty, you're going to come. If you're not thirsty yet, you won't come. But who's invited? Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited. Come. Everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Interestingly, he says... He who has no money, come, buy and eat. How do you buy if you have no money? This is where the gospel gets pretty amazing. Invitation in, specifically to those who find themselves poor, desperate. Come by wine. And milk without money and without price. You have no money and it's absolutely priceless. Why do you spend your money? For those that aren't thirsty yet, those who are invited to come but don't find themselves thirsty, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy? The world has held you captive and told you that other things are more beautiful than Jesus. And you're just spending your life at that. Why do you do that? When infinite beauty awaits you. Instead, he says, listen diligently to me and eat what's good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here. So three times he's beckoning us to listen, incline your ear, and hear. You've got to have open eyes and open ears. Listen diligently, incline your ear and come. Hear, here it is, that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. What I want to do here as we unpack these verses is we're just going to kind of peep over the shoulders of John Calvin. John Calvin gets a bad rap. This, this is beautiful, the words that he writes, unpacking and commenting on this. First, come everyone. Come everyone. Well, I should even start with come. In the original uh, this come is more like, you've got to come. It's a huge deal. 
He's trying to help us see that we are desperate sinners. And so Isaiah the writer screams out, come, because he says, those who are sinners, they don't feel their wants, though they're hungry, nor that they desire food, which they greatly need. And therefore, that indifference must be shaken off by loud, incessant cries. Come, 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 shake off your indifference. So for us on mission, we have to beckon them with mighty voices to shake off the indifference. For those of you that are in Christ who found yourself indifferent, Jesus is looking at you and saying, return, come back. Quit being indifferent to this gospel that saved you one day. Come. We're prone to wonder. We are prone to wonder. Calvin says, men are so enchanted by the devil that they choose rather to wander through deserts and to vex themselves in vain than to rely on the grace which God offers them. And so we need to have proclaimed to us this strong word If you don't have it, after the word come, it's a big, huge exclamation point. Come! Reminding you that you're sinners. And he wants you to see that you need Christ. You need Christ. Come, everyone. Besides the, Calvin says, besides the invitation, it's very general. For there's no man who is not in want of these waters. Everyone. This is Calvin says this. Everyone to whom Christ, for everyone, Christ is necessary. And therefore, Jesus invites all indiscriminately without any respect of persons. So here, everyone, this is a true beckon to everyone who thirsts. And so he's saying, be thirsty. Be thirsty. Calvin writes, we must therefore inquire what is the true preparation for receiving this grace? And the prophet describes it by saying the word thirsty. Those who are puffed up with vain confidence and are satiated or satisfied, who are intoxicated by earthly appetites, do not feel thirst of soul and will not receive Christ because they have no relish for spiritual grace so this massive huge indiscriminate beckon to every people this vexing call to come is to everyone and it's saying be thirsty don't let the world intoxicate you don't let the world bring you over to where you're not thirsty and then he tells you to do this buy without money You're poor, you're destitute. It's priceless what you will receive. Come by. How's that going to happen? Christ is our only hope. That's how it's going to happen. It's not going to happen any other way because you can't. Calvin writes, although they are poor, although they are sunk into the deepest poverty, yet the way is open for them to come to Christ through whom and only through whom all of these blessings are now freely bestowed. So the buying is then for us procuring or Christ freely giving us. So the buying is just a play on words, helping you see it's, it's impossible for you to buy because it's priceless. You cannot yourself by eternal life. It's priceless. So priceless that God gave his only son, God himself in Christ. He gives it freely to us. Come buy milk and wine without money and without price. This is how Calvin writing, talking about the freeness of Christ giving it to us, he says this. He shows that we are poor and utterly destitute and that we have nothing by which we can become entitled to God's favor, but that he kindly invites us in order that he may freely bestow 
everything to us. And here's the kicker, without any recompense. You're incapable of paying him back. And he still wants to freely give it to you. Absolutely incapable of paying him back. And he beckons you and he says, come. Come by and eat by wine and milk without money and without price. And he wants us to hear. He wants us to listen. He wants us to incline our ear to this gospel message. And lastly, he says this. If you look at verse six, for those that think that this great, amazing call to come now and be thirsty and be filled or to put it in New Testament terms, to come now who have thirst of soul so that your soul may live, repent of your sin, be forgiven of your sin, trust in Christ, and now join Jesus on mission who say, well, I'll do that one day. But there's other things in the world that are pretty alluring, pretty intoxicating that I want to do. Verse six tells us this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Calvin warns, men are so enchanted by the devil that they choose to wander through the deserts rather than to rely on the grace that God offers. So, we're to call upon him today. If you're not a believer in Jesus, today's the day for salvation. To receive this amazing gift. If you are a believer in Jesus, again, the same call. Come, return. Stop wondering. Stop roaming around. But instead, listen to what he says and receive buy without money or without price come buy and eat come to the waters I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of response however the Holy Spirit's leading I just ask that you would be obedient let's pray God be with us now as we (coughs) respond this amazing gospel call you're so good to us infinitely infinitely good to us infinitely better than we deserve which only highlights your absolute absolute goodness be with us now as we worship may it be for your glory in Jesus name I pray